0: Are you looking to improve employee engagement and retention? Do you struggle with decisions on who to hire or who to promote? I have an amazing opportunity for a forward-thinking, purpose-led, people-first organisation to work with me on the first pilot Happier at Work programme for corporates. The programme is entirely science-backed and you will have tangible outcomes in relation to employee engagement, retention, performance and productivity. The programme is aimed at people leaders with responsibility for hiring and promotion decisions. If this sounds like you, please get in touch at Aoife at happieratwork.ie. That's A-O-I-F-E at happieratwork.ie. You're listening to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm your host Aoife O'Brien. This is the podcast for leaders who put people first. The podcast covers four broad themes, engagement and belonging, performance and productivity, leadership, equity and the future of work. Everything to do with the Happier at Work podcast relates to employee retention. You can find out more at happieratwork.ie.
1: Like in my own way, like I no longer care about my own individual success because I've realized that only way that I grow and feel satisfaction is if I grow with other people and it's super important for me to be part of a group that cares about each other's growth rather than their own individual success.
0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I'm so delighted to have you join me today and as always I will be doing a synopsis at the end of the episode with some of the key points that I discussed today with this week's guest and do feel free to get involved in the conversation. Either send me an email directly ifa at happieratwork.ie that's A-O-I-F-E at happieratwork.ie or get involved in the conversation on social media. LinkedIn tends to be the place the platform that I use the most, but I also use Instagram as well, happieratwork.ie. I would love to hear from you from either of those platforms. Now, today's guest is Yogesh Sony. He is Indian born and raised, but currently lives in Silicon Valley after spending a little bit of time in Switzerland. He has built technology products used by millions and worked globally with the world's top tech companies for over two decades, imbibing the culture from Asia, Europe, and America all in one. He's a lifelong learner with engineering degrees from the Indian Institute of Technology, Kanpur, ETH in Zurich and an MBA from UC Berkeley as well. And despite his love for working and building tech products, Yogesh felt unfulfilled at work and worse, he didn't know the characteristics of his ideal organisation or how to find one, realising that he was not alone in living for the weekend. Yogesh decided to embark on a mission to change the status quo. In his debut book, Digital Belonging, he dreams of every person feeling invigorated by their jobs. When he is not working or writing, he likes to goof around with his son. Now, we first connected about a year ago or so through LinkedIn and had a wonderful discussion. I think we've lots in common. And today's episode is a little bit on the longer side, but do stay tuned. There's some really great nuggets, especially towards the end and, and I really hope you enjoy today's discussion as much as I did. Welcome, Yogesh, to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted to have you as my guest today. We had a brilliant conversation. It's probably uh, it was definitely, I think, in 2021, I, I, w- I won't say it was a year ago, but it could be closer to a year ago that we had our initial conversation and we just had so much in common. And, you know, this this podcast episode recording has definitely been a long time coming. So for the sake of listeners, would you like to introduce yourself and tell people a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today?
1: Sure. Thanks, Aifaf. I'm thrilled to be on your show. And like you mentioned, I think we connected about a year ago. And at the time, I reached out to you to get your perspective on what makes people happy at work, right? I had just barely started writing the book. And then we have had these conversations for one year period and on and off. And you were one of the early supporters of the book. You Thank were you, one of does. the beta readers. You, you read <laughs> yes. the book. You, you provided feedback. So you have seen the entire thing, right? When it was barely, the book was barely a paragraph to now. Yeah, it's a printed, yes. published book, right? This is <laughs> this is amazing. This is amazing. I've been waiting to be on your podcast for a year now. I'm so, so very happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me here. Uh, about myself, I, I am... Uh, I introduced myself as, as a techie, entrepreneur, and a book author. I, I Techie first because for the first 18 years of my life, I have been working in the tech industry, first as a software engineer, then as a product manager. I currently live in, live in Silicon Valley in California. Uh, before that, I have lived uh, in Europe for a while, actually, eight years in Switzerland. But I was raised in India uh, for the first 20 years of my life I was in India. I got my technical degrees in India. Uh, decided that I was too young to be working, actually got a job in India and then decided I was like a little bit bored. I always wanted to see Europe, Uh, felt a strong connection to Europe. The first country I visited was Germany for three months during my college days. And I was like, man, I have to see and live in Europe to really absorb the culture there. Uh, So that's why I moved to Switzerland. I am so glad that I did. Um, For anyone who would read potential readers of my book, they will find stories, uh, very, very fond stories from Switzerland as well. And you will clearly see how my thought process and my, uh, my own opinions about how the workplace should be is clearly derived from my, uh, my experience in, in Switzerland. Um, then for the past nine years, I have been in Silicon Valley uh, this is what they call a mecca of anything that is technology. Since yeah. I was in a technology worker, naturally, uh, Silicon Valley, you know, attracted me quite a bit, mainly for work. Right? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. And um, well, I, I was happy working, um, you know, trying to get to a executive role, hopefully someday. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, but then COVID happened mm. and, COVID has affected so many people, millions of people in many, many different ways, right? I think one thing uh, that also uh, coincided with me is like, you know, the midlife crisis, they call it, like when you try to hit around like, 40 years of age, <laughs> yeah. that's what it happens. I thought it would never happen to me because I consider myself young at heart always. Yeah. Uh, but it did happen. I don't know whether it is because of COVID or because of my age or both, you know, sort of mixed up. And then I was uh, trying to figure out Okay, I love working. I love building technology products, but there is something missing. Uh, Mm. I'm not really enjoying what I'm doing, and uh, I've had successful career so far. Things are looking good for the future as well, but I'm still not getting it right. And then I was like, going all philosophical that we all have one life to live. Um, I'm coming from like a Hindu uh, culture, but I don't actually believe in multiple lives. Uh, so I thought, you know, half of my life is gone and w- what's making me happy at this place, yeah. right? And then I realized I actually don't know. Uh, mm. What does a happy workplace look like?
0: Yeah,
1: uh, I spoke to other people and um, they were unhappy. And they were like, also like, you know, going through the motions to the weekend, living for the weekend and things like that. And whenever you ask someone, how are you? They're like, I'm fine. But they, I'm fine... D- Really means that there's something <laughs> going on. Right? It doesn't really mean that you actually find. So um, for my next job, I was thinking, okay, what kind of company would I like to work in? What will make me happy? I did not have this answer to the question, right? So let alone finding this company, my next job, I did not even know what the next job look like, looks like, right? So mm-hmm. I had to ask these questions, dig deeper, and surprisingly, it was uh, very very hard for me. Uh, that maybe due to my own lack of self-awareness or general lack of awareness of what's out there for whatever reason, right? I couldn't figure it out for myself. So I had to, um, had to ins- inspect, and my, I started researching on this. What makes people happy? What's, what would make me happy at work? And uh, it turned out, uh, during my research, I was reaching out to lots of people uh, on LinkedIn. That's when I reached out to you as well. Yeah. And uh, coincidentally, I met uh, Professor Eric Kuster, who teaches book writing uh, at Georgetown University in Washington. Mm. And it turned out that he's accepting. he was accepting the cohort of people who are not enrolled at the university to teach book writing. He's like, why did not you write a book? I'm like, I have written like three blogs in my life. <laughs> what do you mean? And then he told me that only uh, 1% or 2% people who start writing a book actually finish writing it. I'm like, thank mm-hmm. you very much. That's That sounds
0: <laughs> extremely fantastic. <laughs> yeah, <interesting."> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So the failure you know, rate is high.
1: <laughs> yeah, failure rate is super high. And, and uh, then I said, okay, yeah, uh, sounds good. Whatever, let's just jump through it, right? Jump through a cliff, we'll figure out the rest later. Yeah. And, and I was so glad that I uh, actually accepted this offer because uh, it introduced me to commun- the concept of community-based writing. They like to call it never write alone, mm. meaning there's a lot of uh, other authors who are helping each other out introducing to their network there okay, are yeah. author coaches and editors and all those things right so it's you don't have to do it alone and mm. I'm so I'm so glad that I was uh, like I went through this guided process and I can just focus on figuring out what's the useful thing like writing the useful thing or, or writing a useful book that was my focus and that's everything uh, about publishing the book, editing the book was taken care about by by the, the by the publishers and by the community. I'm so glad. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't have to worry about that secondary stuff. Exactly. <laughs> Brilliant. There's uh, there's actually loads to unpack in what you said there, Yogesh. And like for me, you know, what you're talking about, I can I can say so and I think a lot of listeners will be able to relate to that, that you get to a certain age and that makes you sort of question everything. But coupled with the fact that we had COVID and for a lot of the last couple of years, we have been working from home. We've been working remotely. We've been living kind of, you know, in close quarters with, a, with those that we live with or else feeling very isolated because we live alone. You know, I live alone, so A lot of that two years was uh, quite an isolating time for me. Thankfully, I've got family close by, which is great, but it did. I think it called I think a lot of people called into question their purpose at work and whether or not they're happy doing what they're continuing to do. So thank you for for highlighting that, first of all, Um, a slight side note. Given that you live in Silicon Valley, is uh, I've watched all of the series Silicon Valley, which is kind of a, it's, it's a bit of a cult show, but it's yeah. a bit it's a bit of an eye opener as to what goes on, and I, I'm curious to know whether it's it it's reflective of reality. Let's say,
1: yeah, I think in parts definitely yes. So they exaggerate a bit to yeah. make it funny for sure, oh, of course, yeah, 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 make it some caricatures and all those things, but. You know, it, it, it does happen, right? A lot of times you know, people like to believe that big VCs have it all figured out, right? And they are investing in these companies, right? But if you think about it, a failure rate of the companies that the VCs invest in, for, you can read through uh, some, some articles how certain VCs passed on uh, investing on certain companies that eventually became, you know, decacorns, unicorns, decacorns, or whatever the term, right? like yeah. huge companies.
0: I suppose, I mean, this is the billion dollar question, but... Like, what were the conclusions? So you started this book because you didn't feel that happy in work. You reached out to colleagues, realised there's a lot of people who actually feel the same way. And I was the same, you know, a few years ago where you get to a certain stage in your career. I had had a really enjoyable career up to that point. Um, I, I had worked in places that I really, you know, I really, really was able to thrive. Um but, you know, in the process of writing the book, in reaching out and connecting with all these people, in doing this research, you know, what what is the kind of the main conclusion that you found?
1: Sure. So if you don't mind, I'll take a little bit long winded road to answer. Yeah, this question. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And, and I just wanted to point out, sorry, the name of the book is Digital Belonging. So, I mean, for me, like it's a really I think it captures what the book is all about, but I'll let you go on and kind of explain what you found.
1: In, in, sure, you know, sure. during this process. Sure, sure. So um, you, you mentioned the title of the book, Digital Belonging. Uh, it's about building human-centered organizations. And when I say human, I'm uh, referring to the employees and uh, treating them as human, not human resources. And essentially, what I was trying to do was uh, my skill set as a product manager taught me to whatever product we are building, you focus first on the users or the customers. So I asked this question, what if the company was the product and the employees were the users? How would that company look like? Right? So rather than focusing on the shareholder um, or the external customers, um, also include the employees as one of the major stakeholders Mm. uh, around which you would design the company. Uh, So that was a question. And you uh, referred to the isolation during COVID times, right? Mm. Um, So it was very easy for people to blame everything, um, blanket on COVID. Everyone is working remotely. You know what? It doesn't work. We are not able to build culture, things like that. Let's bring everyone back. But that's like very, very, Uh, surface level uh, conclusion devoid of any scientific facts or understanding, right? Uh, But isolation is really the key. And during my research, I figured that indeed isolation is uh, very injurious to human health. But unlike, but, uh, unlike what majority of people think, isolation is not the outcome of the COVID, yes. People were isolated during COVID times, yes. But and this is the statistics from there's a company called uh, Cigna. It's a big medical company in the US, and they conducted survey. So before the before the COVID hit, around sixty one percent of American workforce were lonely at work.
0: Sixty one percent, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Before the pandemic, when everything, when everyone was like in the office, and you know, things were supposed to be hunky dory, and that's that's a huge number. Right? It's not like 18%, 10%, mm. 2%, it's 61%. Yeah. And and then CDC, which is the Medical Association of, of the U.S., uh, they, according to them, uh, workplace stress is the fifth largest cause of death in the U.S. Mm. And that's above diabetes in U.S. And if you imagine diabetes is such a big thing in the U.S., right?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So clearly we have been doing things wrong way before the pandemic, and pandemic- just highlighted, right? I call it as a pandemic as the low tide event where, you know, there's a lot of stuff hiding under the high tide and when the when the water retreats, then yeah. you can see that really the pattern what's going on. Yeah. yeah, it's exactly right. Yeah. So it was hidden under the fancy offices and uh, mm-hmm. free food and laundry outside and call you out, right? But yeah. the things were not well even before that, right? And now you, you mentioned about isolation and uh, I think it's a very well-known fact that humans have been living uh, in tribes for very, very long.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think just 10,000 years ago, uh, probably uh, we were, before we were farming, I think 10 or 20,000 years ago, we were just living in tribes and and not living in a tribe or if someone was excluded or ostracized from the tribe, they would die, right? And mm-hmm. we have evolved to um, to have... Very serious negative uh, repercussions uh, mentally, psychologically, if we are excluded or isolated from the group. Uh, so finding tribes, uh, and I don't want to use the tribe, the word tribe here because I've been uh, working in some companies where there would be two or three tribes forming and then there will be there will be a tribal war uh okay, within, yeah.
0: <laughs> within so the organization kind of, it gets a bit clicky is that it yeah
1: yeah exactly, yeah right, yeah. right? so
0: that's
1: why yeah super competitive right and there was also this concept of team where I've been in situations where I have been part of the team but you know everyone is like you know taking shots at me uh I call it in the book as if living in the war zone where the next sniper bullet would take me out, right? I have been in that situation. I've been part of so-called teams where my own team members would not share information with me and oh. I would have to go to our customers to get some uh, some documentation from <laughs> yeah. that was supposed to be shared with me. Uh, things like that, right?
0: Can we just kind of pause there for a second and say, like, what was the reason for that? Was that the culture that the company had had created, that the leadership had created within that organization that like knowledge sharing is, is bad? And it like such a competitive culture that it's in my own personal interest to trip someone else up at work so that I can succeed, so that I can get a promotion, so that I can get more money. Like, is that the mentality that was created or, or what was the cause of that?
1: So it's very, very hard to figure out the exact cause or when did it start and things like that. Right. Because, yeah. uh, because uh, you know, the people who have started this culture, maybe have, they're, they're long gone and the culture okay. remains, right? Culture, yeah, culture lives yeah, on yeah. for thousands of years, actually. Yeah. right? But I would, I think you're, you're pointing to something that I do mention is about the individualistic culture. If you look, if you look very carefully, uh, about, you know, how do, or what, what do we incentivize, uh, in all companies, or majority of ninety nine percent of companies, this is concept of performance appraisal, or mm-hmm. incentives, performance bonuses, uh, stock options, RSUs, bonuses, promotions, etc. Right. So everything is individual, and this gives rise. This gives rise to this competition. I used to work in a a team. Uh, it was like one of the uh, best software teams because mainly because of my manager, he, has built, he, had, he had built an all-star team, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody uh, used to talk about all-star team and he had actually success, succeeded in building this all-star team. And then come performance appraisal, he was told that, look, we have this limited budget for bonus. So you have to do this bell curve where some people oh, yeah. would be, <laughs> you know, higher I'm, than average. I'm very, and very people familiar people with be the average. bell curve. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> bell curve, right? <laughs> And the guy was like, it makes no sense, didn't you? asked me to build an all-star team and they are all-star. Like, they're literally the best software engineers that you can find anywhere yeah. on the planet, right? And then they're asking me to give like lower performance numbers, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. You I cannot even like, yeah. measure performance. Yeah, you cannot even measure the performance objectively or the value that every person has been driving. It's very, very hard to measure this objectively, right? So it, it made no sense. And then obviously when you have this bulk curve, everybody wants to be on the right side of the bell curve. So mm-hmm. then there is like internal competition, right? Yeah. And then the collaboration and cooperation goes out of the window. Mm-hmm. And by the way, it has been shown um, many, many over times that people are generally cooperative. Uh, but it's the incentives that turn them and they provide the wrong kind of incentives would force them, almost force their hand to yeah. behave other- otherwise contrary to their human nature, right? And I just ask this question. if we are a company, uh, it, we are supposed to come together to solve this bigger problem that yeah. none of us can solve alone, right? Yeah, yeah. If that is the case, why is not everyone aligned, right? So why is there, for example, no culture of team performance? I've never heard, you know, any team performance appraisals or, you know, there are certain outcomes or metrics, something, sometimes like that. But again, the performance appraisals is individual. So it's very, very hard. And it, this performance appraisal is done by uh, your manager who, whose hand is tied because of this bell curve and this kind of things, right? Yeah. So um, I think the incentive, the organizational structure and the incentive itself probably have to evolve quite a bit mm. to tell people that, look, we build, we solve bigger problems in teams here. And... A team itself is fully aut- autonomous mm-hmm. to trade decisions, and we can f- we can uh, fix the outcomes for the team you know you say you drive this outcome but then a team should be fully autonomous to organize themselves whatever way they see best fit and the team should be capable or autonomous in terms of deciding uh, you know, managing the performance of the team, right? You don't need an external person or an SVP to manage the performance of an individual, right? The team mm-hmm. should be able to take care of this amongst themselves, yeah. so, right? Sometimes, yeah. you know, a team member uh, is having some personal issues or whatever, yeah. then maybe other team member can pick up some slack.
0: And yeah. And, and yeah, and in the knowledge that that other person would do exactly the same for them as well. So is it? it it's kind of almost a, a combination of autonomy sorry, not autonomy, but accountability and um, the accountability. So we're accountable to each other. And because we're in this team and we're being appraised as a team, we're going to support each other and, um, you know, to, to get the job done at all costs. And, and this is kind of also with the awareness that we're not creating subcultures within this where we're competing against other teams, that we're all here as a unit to try and, and exactly, as you say, serve this higher purpose, solve this bigger problem. Um,
1: so uh, absolutely, and since the the word team, it's a team itself, uh, has been I would say rather misused.
0: Okay, and yeah,
1: or yeah. used very casually, where you say, okay, this is part of the team, but none of the team members are remotely you know connected at an emotional level to each other, or they are even working on goals that are completely opposing or competing, right? So that's why I didn't want to use the word team. So that's yeah. why in the book, I use the word community. Okay. And yeah, yeah. This, this community would be say, say larger than the team in the sense that members of the community by definition, they are um, interested in the success of the community as well as their own success, right? So the community yeah. is responsible for individual success and individual is responsible for the, the community's success. And by definition, community members have a common purpose and they have shared values. Their behaviors are also shared and they don't go outside of the norm of the community. And, um, and people find meaning and belonging in the community, right? So that's, that's the key. Um, there was this McKinsey report uh, that was con- conducted over, I think, 10,000 employees globally, where they, uh, where they showed that. The number one reason why employees are leaving their work or resigning from their jobs, well paying jobs, I might add, is because they lack a, lack a sense of belonging. If there is no community, the concept of community at work, they don't have a community to belong to, right? So, how would they feel this sense of belonging? So, that, I think that is the key message of the book, where you can reimagine the organization uh, as a big community or a bunch of smaller micro communities because the smaller communities are uh, much easier to maintain but the company itself is is a bigger community and mm-hmm. that company includes the employees but also the customers i think yeah. there is a very good example of this this company called gitlab which yeah, is yeah. an all fully, remote company. Remote. You know this yeah. company, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. They are super suc- successful uh, since I think they went IPO in 2020 and they are a $10 billion company. Okay, and yeah, clearly yeah. something went right for them. Yeah. And I saw a talk from their CEO, Sid, and he drew a picture diagram where he calls uh, their employees, I think are uh, some members, I forgot the exact name, but he clearly shows in that diagram that the community is made up of the customers, uh, some uh, solution providers, uh, suppliers even, and then mm-hmm. the the company members, so the employees, right? So, yeah, um, yeah so this this sense of belonging was uh, built by design in GitLab, and that's why they were so successful, right? And they have been doing it since last eight years, I would say. Yeah. They are present in 65 different countries. Uh, 1200 different deploys and they were able to do it and clearly the lack of office uh, did not uh, deter them from achieving success. Right? It, it is too
0: It's not about having the office. I think we I think we all learned that from from Covid. Um, I was at an event last night and they were talking about like the numbers of people who are back in the office and the different numbers of days that they're back. So like five, four, three, two, one or uh, fully remote or, you know, fully in the office or fully remote or something in between. And it was interesting, the results, very kind of mixed results with within the um with you know within the room that was there. But I think um Yogesh know, you're, you're sort of speaking my language now in relation to the um this idea of belonging and the behaviours and the values within a team, and I I suppose and maybe you didn't get to this in the book, but I'm curious to know what your thoughts are from the research that you've done, from the experiences that you've had is how do you form a team like that to begin with? So if we're saying what's wrong is the teams are disconnected, they have they they don't have shared goals, their behaviours are not reflective of what the community wants. And interesting use of that word community, because uh, in one of the past episodes with Ted Rubin, he uses exactly that that language to describe what what we're really doing at work is we have this community and, you know, and and putting this focus on employees, I think, is so, so important. So any thoughts on, on how do you create a culture like that? How do you create a community with, you know, that community being the organization? And how do you create those sub communities where people have these not just the shared goals, because I think that's that's probably fairly straightforward, but the shared norms, the shared behaviors, the shared values. How, how do you go about actually creating that?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. We first begin with uh, figuring out what are the basic human needs. And yeah. I captured that in an acronym, DIGITAL. So DIGITAL is a little bit of a wordplay. Uh, DIGITAL stands for Dignity, inclus- Inclusion, growth, independence, trust, appreciation, and love. So obviously there are different other ne- human needs, but I sort of thought that it would be easy if I capture that in, in a nice-to-remember uh, acronym. So we first begin with these needs, mm. and and everybody has to understand that, for example, sense of dignity, right?
0: Yeah.
1: It's, it's a basic human requirement. If you disrespect someone else, Mm -hmm. If you take away their dignity, uh, they are humiliated. Humiliation leads to violence. There is no doubt about that.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? So it's it's a very basic concept, but it is missed by so many people. Right? So all the norms, values and behaviors come out from the human need. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's not enough to simply say, okay, we talk to each other too nicely. Right? But it's important to understand that We're talking about really not taking away dignity of another person. And that could be, you know, by questioning their attire or questioning their, you know, right to practice religious Mm -hmm. beliefs or whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, But it also much more than that, right? When you mic- micromanage someone, you're taking yeah. away their dignity as well, right? You're mm. not trusting them. Lack of trust in someone is also like taking away their dignity, right? Uh, so I unpack uh, the second in the book. But from these, from these needs, these values, um, come different norms and behaviors. Mm. And now, once that is understood, then uh, in the book I mentioned there's this strategic framework uh, to create belonging. I call it TACT. Uh, So transparency, autonomy, community, and technology, these are the four pillars that is used to create belonging, right? And transparency is not just, okay, let's just put everything in a Google Drive and be done with it kind of thing, right? So transparency is extremely important, first of all, to create belonging because this opacity uh, and uncertainty Mm. creates fear in people.
0: It creates and the- us and them cultures, doesn't it? It's like, you yeah. know, and I, I remember being on both sides, being the one who's, let's, let's for want of a better word, be outside the room where managers are having that discussion and you're like, not really sure what's being talked about in there, what's going on. And then you don't get an update about what the meeting was about or there's no kind of communication afterwards. And I've also been on the other side where we're discussing people very openly in a room. And yet they didn't know that this is how the and this is going back to this performance appraisals, they they had no idea that this is how the performance appraisals are being done. From my perspective, it creates a very us and them type of culture. This lack of transparency.
1: Absolutely. And now you mentioned that you were sometimes outside of the room. Mm. And now in this new world, in the remote world, everyone is outside the room yeah. at all times.
0: Yeah, right? yeah, yeah.
1: So, so just you can just imagine uh, if you are in the state of uh, fear because you don't know what's coming because pe- some people are talking behind your back uh, and if you're in the state of uh, fight or flight all the time uh, then it's number one super difficult to form meaningful trusting relationship with your yeah. co-workers yeah and number two is uh, it actually hinders your creative brain or your creativity mm. which is why at least in the knowledge uh, economy or the tech sector this is why people were hired to you know to do creative yeah, yeah. work to,
0: to, right? yeah to use to use their <laughs> intellect to use their their brains it's not our hands that people want anymore it's our brains right, and right, then right. to a, to a degree as well our hearts to to be emotionally connected with with the place yeah. where we work
1: and just think about it right some a software a new software engineer joins a company and they don't know okay if I work hard do I get promoted how do I get promoted what does yeah. the promotion mean in here yeah right what are the right projects sometimes the strategic priority of the team or companies not clear, sometimes the CEO would send out an email and say, here is what we're going to do. But there's no uh, information about, okay, how did we come to this conclusion? Why are we doing this? Why are we not doing something else? What was the rationale behind the decision? Nothing. So uh, I think transparency is important in so many different ways, first of all, which sets the foundation of putting everyone on the same page and calming the people yeah, first, there's right?
0: well, th- I mean, something else occurred to me as well. It's not just about trans transparency in in that kind of direct context. It's the having really clear expectations. So being really transparent about like what is my expectation of you as an employee, and um, you know, transparency around the, the roles, uh, roles and responsibilities of the, you know. And there's so many people who they just don't know. They might have got a promotion. They were hired um, based on a job description, but they've, or based on a job ad, but they've never seen a job description, or they, or it's not, there's like other in- inherent things that are not really clear when you first join an organization of the expectations that are placed on you that go beyond what's actually described in the role that you have. So I think as leaders, as people managers, it's so important to be really clear about the expectations that you have of people, because I mean, I've been in team meetings where, you know, this is a mistake I've made in the past where someone suggested something like, oh, I think we should. And I can't remember the exact thing, but I, I recall that it was like I'm thinking to myself, that's that's what you should be doing anyway, you know, that's that's in your job description. That's, you know, if you're making this as a suggestion, as a way to improve the team, like you should actually have already been doing this. Um, mm. you know, and I'm thinking to myself, why weren't you doing this already? <laughs> you know? So yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. You're uh, absolutely right about this roles and responsibility, right? Because I think about it, if you want to feel a part of the community or the tribe, you can just imagine just hypothetical thought experiment where you were living in a tribe that, uh, used to hunt for living for example right mm. i think some people were good at making the arrows and i'm making this up i don't know right some other people were good at rather shooting yeah. the animals all right some other people were good at skinning or cutting them right so it's mm. just a mass cooperation right yeah, yeah and everybody had their roles and responsibilities i think super clear that back then i would imagine right but because there were small tribes and um, uh i would argue okay uh, Sometimes, you know, there's mass cooperation when there are like 50,000 employees in a company.
0: Mm.
1: It's gigantic, right? So, uh, mass cooperation at this level, even we are able to do this, something like this, is is really a miracle, right? And it's all goes to human <laughs> uh, ingenuity and, and our um, our uh, you know, ability to tell stories that bind us towards certain goals, right? You mentioned earlier that shared goals is, uh, setting that is easy, but in practice, I didn't. I
0: didn't uh, mean to say it was easy, but it's more. It's more practical. It's more yeah. practical than you know trying to define what the values are. I know that. Yeah, defining the shared goals is not. It's not straightforward, but it's it's more of a practical approach. Whereas I think, um, when you're talking about things like behavior and values, it's 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 less clear cut. Let's say.
1: Yeah. I I worked once for a senior executive and he asked me, he joined uh, later than me and he asked me, okay, what's the, I've been here for a month. What's the business strategy of the company?
0: Yeah.
1: And I was like, dude, I've, been trying to find, figure it out since the last six months, and I was kind of hoping that you are gonna be able to tell me okay. that. Okay. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so even at that level, uh, yeah. sometimes it's very, very hard to figure it out, right? Yeah. So, so that's why transparency is all kind of passing yeah. thing. Where you just, just, just put it out there, everything, right? You mentioned roles and responsibilities, promotion, growth, everything.
0: Yeah, but it's. I mean, it's a. It's a really great point that you make there. That even. At that level, you're kind of almost too embarrassed to ask that. You're like, I yes. should know this. I should have this answer already. <laughs> and maybe it's giving people the permission to simply say, I don't know. You know, if you're listening today and and you're questioning, like, do I am I really clear on what the expectations that the business has for me that that the that my manager has for me and if you're not 100 percent clear or if you're not 100 percent clear on how you get to the next level, how you progress in your career, that there's permission to actually ask that question because there are people at those levels where it's not clear. And if it's not clear at that level, then it becomes even muddier the, the further you go down in the organization then. So you need to be able to, as a leader, set those really clear expectations.
1: You're absolutely right. right? And And sometimes it's also people don't exactly know what they want and then you know Mm. we have this corporate ladder
0: and the only option is like you either
1: grow in the technical ladder or management Mm. ladder right so that's like severely limiting people in a box you have to fit this definition right yeah so i was made a manager because they told me uh, you you have signs of being a leader okay be a manager, go lead this. So that's why that's how I moved from from Switzerland to, to US to to lead a team. They made me uh, manager of a software team because they saw some leadership potential in me, right? But I had no clue whether I would like to be a manager yeah. or like, are there other options? It's, that's to add the a age right? age old dilemma as
0: well, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly
1: right, right. But now I think what I think was what I was really looking for. I've always always looked for some kind of meaning in what work I'm doing. And if that, if my work is not driving that impact uh, in terms of adding value to our customers or society as a as right? and not being philosophical here, being very, very practical, even tactical here, I have to know that what the work that I'm doing is positively impacting the bottom line of the company. Otherwise I might as well you know, not waste my time here.
0: Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. There's no and point. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah. it's amazing. So many people go around the company. You ask, um, you know, 90,000 people uh, in a 100,000 company. OK, what's the impact of your work? Uh, I guarantee you, <laughs> no clue, no idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? So, yeah. yeah, so I think. But for me, I think like
0: it's, it's, it's up to us as individuals to understand that impact, but also as, as leaders to Tell people what that is like. You know, from from the research I've done, it's it's so so important that leaders make that connection really obvious as to what what that person's role, like what contribution that they're making to the wider business's objectives and and the important role that they play.
1: That brings me to my second point. Woo-hoo. The thing is, <laughs> we, you're absolutely right that someone should be doing this. Someone yeah. should be clarifying the role. Yeah. And when you say leaders, I am assuming that you're mentioning like thinking senior leaders, right? Uh, or, or, like, did you mean senior leaders or?
0: For me, it, it comes from the top, but it, it translates down from from the top. And so I would expect that a person managing a team. So a team manager, a team leader will be able to articulate the Well, they'll know themselves what their contribution and impact on the organization is, but they will be able to articulate for each of their team members what that impact is. Now, maybe that gets lost along the way somewhere, but I'd love to hear what your thoughts are based on, you know, what, 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 you know, whether it's at that level or whether it's at the more senior level.
1: Yeah. so i think the second pillar that i mentioned was autonomy and when i say autonomy it's both individual autonomy and one thing is important is like everyone is different their needs are different their personal mm. situation is different mm-hmm. the way their body is built is different when they want want to work some people are like morning people some are like night people yeah yeah so autonomy over your work when you work where you work what time you work how you work right that's supremely important sometimes it's not always possible but in Tech companies, it's totally, totally possible. There's absolutely no reason to not allow this, right? So, yeah. but I also, but I think uh, apart from individual autonomy, I am um, very, very ardent, even radical supporter of uh, team autonomy, where a team, every mem- member of the team, has a very, very big stake in what they are doing a very, very big stake and very, mm-hmm. very, I said, you know, if they fail, maybe they have neg- negative consequences, but if they succeed, they probably have a very um, large upside as well.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, they figure out who their customers are, what their outcomes are, who go, who is present in the team, who to hire, etc. because, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes I've hired people. And the approval goes to the C-level, C uh, C-executive, C right? Now, what on earth would they know
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, about, you know, what kind yeah. of person do I need in my that's, team? And, and that's the uh, opposite
0: of autonomy. That's yeah, bureaucracy. Exactly.
1: Yeah. I'm like, why are they approving this person? They have no mm. idea. They have not interviewed. I have interviewed the person. Mm. I know what, I wrote the job description. There's five members of my team who interviewed this person why would the C-level guy need, right? And I I was like desperate to hire. It's so difficult to hire in Silicon Valley. I was desperate and, you know, it was taking two weeks to get the approval, right? So that kind of thing, right? But it's really, really important to have uh, autonomy over what they're doing and even having a customer in the middle, right? So the customer is what they're building stuff for, right? It could be an internal customer or external customer. It doesn't Mm -hmm. really matter, but Uh, As long as every team member uh, knows what outcome is being driven for the customer, I would argue uh, that, uh, you know, they would figure out roles and responsibilities much faster Mm -hmm. than if it was the Soviet-style planning. You know, I have worked in some companies where the last three months of the year is spent in planning.
0: And (laughs) come
1: come January, nobody looks at the planning document yeah. After, like after january right <laughs> and i'm just wondering like didn't we like win war or something like that it Was like way, way before i i born and then we have you know uh you know cut the head of the communist hydra or whatever you right but there's there's this communism or like soviet style central planning everywhere in our tech mm-hmm. companies where you know there's like cent- central level planning is you know, happening at the senior leadership level, and then people are just there to execute, right? I actually was in a meeting where a senior leader did like an eight-hour long Zoom meeting. There wow. was like 70 people, I think 30 people in the meeting, eight hours, and the senior leader was like um, writing down tasks in a spreadsheet yeah. and assigning names and saying, oh, okay, wow. this person does like 11% of his time does this, and 13% of his time does that, and blah, blah, blah.
0: That's definitely a meeting that could have been an email.
1: <laughs> and we were just, all, for eight hours, we were just looking at a spreadsheet.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. Eight, right, but right. eight hours times 30 times what, you know, what's the average hourly rate? And that's the amount of money oh, yeah. in, in monetary terms. That's what's been wasted during that time. And they'
1: uh, absolutely right, right? And the other point is uh, the team itself was 70 people, right? There were like 40 other people, supposedly junior
0: Software mm. engineer oh, yeah, yeah.
1: who who are children who don't have any brains. Yeah. Well, they they have brains to write software code, but they're <laughs> apparently not adult enough to understand yeah. what the company needs or what the business strategy yeah, is, and yeah, etc. Right? Yeah. So <laughs> what we'll do is that we'll not invite them to this Zoom meeting. Yeah. We'll write their names and we'll hand down them down the task oh, yeah, after yeah. the meeting. Right, mm. because that's where, why the other managers there for, right? So the senior leader will write down the task and assign names, oh, and if the names, and then the He couldn't managers, do that, then
0: he wouldn't have a job. <laughs> right, right, right.
1: I, so this was happening, right? And, and um, if you, if you are surprised that people are feeling alienated, mm. they don't feel as if they are part of something.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, then I have to seriously question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. your...
1: Yeah you uh, IQ or whatever Q. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. This is exactly yes. <laughs> right. So the the yeah the third element I was going to ask about yeah.
1: So once you have transparency and autonomy taken care of, then you're starting to get bake the foundations of community. Mm. And uh, and when I say community, it's really we mentioned earlier that it has a shared purpose or shared goal, right? But then. Uh, At at a company, you might have these values and behaviors that are needed for all the communities inside. Let's call the micro communities. Just Mm -hmm. imagine company as a network, not as a hierarchy, but as a network of micro communities. And then there is a bigger umbrella community, which comprises of everyone in the company, even the customers, suppliers, and everyone else, right? And then essentially the concept of community is that uh, community is not there just to like hang out people to hang out right every community is also self-sustaining in the terms of they have to drive some kind of economic impact right uh, they have to generate uh, maybe not directly but sometimes directly the revenues but for the customers and if the community is not working out you just disband it and join some people join another company other community right and uh, I think in Amazon, they have this concept of single-threaded teams, which is pretty, comes pretty close to this model, uh, where this team comprises of everyone, designers, engineers, uh, product managers, and everyone in that, uh, in that small unit. And they are self-sustaining, self-sufficient, right? But I think there is a better example. There's this company called Hire. They are appliance maker. And uh, their CEO was fed up with, with bureaucracy, and what he did was he eliminated 12,000 uh, managerial jobs, 12,000 of that, wow, completely okay. one stroke of pen, right? Yeah. And instead, they created these micro enterprises, it's very similar to Amazon's single-letter team. Micro enterprises are typically uh, 10 people, 10 to 15 people who, by the way, like, uh, find their own colleagues who they are really interested uh, working with. Mm -hmm. who they share good relationship, who they like and complementary skills and so on and so forth, right? They figure out the opportunity and a uh, micro-enterprise is formed. And this micro-enterprise, every person is responsible for getting the revenues, right? Even the software engineer, they're not only responsible for writing software. Mm -hmm. Their, Their job is not done when they write the software and they ship the software and they cannot go home, right? If they're writing software that is not adding value to customers, their job is not done, right? So they mm-hmm. are inherently in the sales path, right? So they, ha- they may have a sales team, but even every software engineer is also, you know, selling the solution that they're building. So now what, what happens is that if you have only one micro enterprise, then it's severely limited. It's 10 to 15 people cannot achieve much, right? Mm-hmm. So they had this concept of micro communities where maybe there is a bigger problem to tackle, and a few micro-enterprises come together to form these micro-communities where they have now have they are a bigger organization, if you will. But still, the micro-enterprise is fully autonomous. Yeah, right? They're deciding. And, and autonomous in the sense that, just imagine, you know, in big tech companies, there's typically centrally an infrastructure team that is providing you know, the cloud, private cloud or whatever right? they're building. And typically, these private cloud, um, uh, people who are building this private cloud, they're slower much lower than what an Amazon Web Services could build, for example, right? Okay, yeah, But, yeah. but still, uh, everyone else in the company are forced to use this service for internal service from our internal teams, right? Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Um, and they cannot use AWS or Google Cloud or whatever, <laughs> right? But in the higher model, each microenterprise will use whatever is needed for them to deliver value to their customers. yeah. If there is another micro community inside higher that is building cloud services, if they don't do a good job, this other micro enterprise will go choose Google Cloud or yeah, AWS. Yeah, yeah. Right? They so it's, this in, it's in
0: their interest to perform exactly, well and to right? do it efficiently. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. So just imagine shared goal is not enough because if you remove the autonomy pillar mm. and then you force them then, you know, everything gets devalued like eventually, yeah. right? And then they're not doing their job because they are uh, dependent on some other team who are not doing their job well and things like that and, th- and so on and so forth, right? Yeah. So so that's why once you have this closely knit team that is adding value to their customers, that's when magic starts to happen, right? And 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 I think I have given some examples in the book where, this community-led effort can do wonders, right? And community is not just, you know, hunky-dory thing where you just hang out to discuss your problems and go back home, right? It's not like, mm-hmm. I mean, I totally appreciate the employees resource groups that are based on uh, a number of factors, right? It's similar to like, for example, uh, uh, it is important to have, uh, you know, so-called underrepresented minorities and right? having an ERG for them to, uh, to go speak up the problems or the issues they're finding, right? But mm. I see a problem with that is that, you know, sometimes those can become echo chambers, and this probably is controversial, but their problems are not discussed with a wider company, mm. and it sort of becomes an echo chamber, right?
0: Yeah, so instead,
1: yeah. what I'm talking about is having, uh, building some community uh, based on uh, an interest, which is beneficial also for the company, right? I'll give you an example. Uh, I mentioned a guy called Steve who joined Johnson Johnson from a startup. He was in a seven-person, uh, seven people startup, and mm-hmm. he joined this behemoth Johnson Johnson, which has like hundred thousand employees. Right? Yeah, and he was like trying to figure out, okay, how do I do innovation here? And so he soon figured that there are one thousand VPs here, and if he has some ideas, he has to go pitch it to a VP, and then if he says no. Uh, go to another VP, she says no, and, and so on and so forth. Maybe the thousand VP will say yes, right? And that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. clearly not efficient <laughs> no. way to, <laughs> to, to drive innovation, right? And then he said, okay, maybe they're just... Like, he met a few instigators, like much like himself, and then they started forming a small community. And community is nothing, right? It doesn't have to be anything fancy, just a WhatsApp group, right, or a Slack group. Mm. And they just trying to figure out outside of their work, they're saying, okay, I'm really interested in building a solution to better diagnose depression, for example, right? They're, okay, figuring out together people who are interested in this topic, they're coming together, right? Mm-hmm. But then uh, they've soon figured that they have to be financially, economically viable, yeah. Otherwise, the communities will die with their way, right? And then they, their key goal was to drive innovation. And there are so many people who have great ideas, but they don't have the patience or energy to go pitch it to 1,000 VPs, right? Yeah, so they yeah, said, okay, course, yeah. how do we, how do we go support, right? How do we spread these brilliant ideas and get support, right? Uh, fortunately, such a mechanism exists in the world. It's called... Uh, uh, TED. If you have ever seen TED Talks, yeah,
0: of course. Uh, Technology,
1: engineering yeah. design, right? Ideas worth and spreading. <laughs> ideas worth spreading. Okay, well, it's uh, they said, okay, let's let's do uh, TEDx uh, TEDx for business. Uh, TEDx Johnson Johnson was born. TEDx JNJ. Wow. And they started, I think, uh, with a few people, and within six years, their TEDx JNJ community was twenty nine thousand people. Oh, uh, incredible. <laughs> right and hundreds of TED talks. Right, and not everyone uh, becomes TED speaker. Yeah. Sometimes they are, you know, someone is delivering a powerful TED talk. Uh, um, you know, I spoke about someone who was super passionate about curing depression because she had had this uh, friend who uh, died or who committed suicide, and they could not figure out how much, you know, what on, you know, at a, some scale, how depressed was he. Right. So mm. she was really, really passionate about figuring out how to better make these tools for depression. And she had some ideas. She had some insights and she delivered this very powerful talk and, you know, she woke up. The talk was, you know, watched live, obviously, but also it was some people watched it on recorded video. Mm. And next day she had like hundreds of emails from scientists, from engineers, from VPs oh, wow. and everyone who wanted to build that solution. I think yeah. it was in eight months the talk was delivered somewhere in May or June or something. And uh, by february uh, uh the product was already out wow. the market right so it's so powerful and just imagine they built something which is obviously super useful for our society finding yeah. able to diagnose uh, depression yeah, uh, much yeah. more effectively
0: mm.
1: uh, it is beneficial for johnson johnson for business good for business yeah and it is good for the employees who were involved in building this solution and they find yeah, true purpose yeah. right and and people chose to be part of this community, the community that uh, builds tools for diagnosing depression, right? That is the community. Right? And it was not handed down by senior executive leaders. It was, it came all technically, right? Yes. And I I can just bet the sense of belonging in those people, part of that community, would be like way, way higher than anyone uh, uh, who is handed out the task written on a spreadsheet yeah. by their senior yeah, leader. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
0: yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, and this is how you build a community, right? I, I think I have other uh, examples in the book where, uh, you know, you just sometimes, you know, um, make people, uh, you know, join these communities, existing communities. I gave an example of a ba- Black woman who was from Trinidad and Tobago and she joined the Black ERG community, but she did not feel com- connected with community simply because she did not share the experiences
0: yeah. of
1: the Black Americans. She came from the Caribbean, much okay, different yeah, history, yeah. right? Yeah, and just uh, she just did not feel connected, right? And then she started this community, which to improve the data science in the company and she was a phd in statistics right mm. and instead of calling her a doctor in of uh, philosophy in statistics you call her a black person right yeah. people are very very complex and they are not easily defined by simple things like ethnicity mm. and 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 uh, and their skin color right so yeah. as much again this is controversial as much as there are race issues, for sure. I would never discount it. But I don't touch about that in, in my book because I don't have any experience. I have not lived those experiences. Yeah. I'm not a researcher in those, right? I talk only about work, right? But in context of work, people have much more to them, to their personality, to, to their values, to their purpose, than just their skin color
0: or yes. their language or background, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: And in this case, if I... Uh, if I said statistics, it is. Again, she made a community and this community was, I think, grew to 4,000 people. Uh, you can imagine these people, 4,000 people teaching each other new new tools for data science, yeah. building, building tools, building products based on data science. Similarly, the other companies like Intuit who focus very uh, heavily on design, design is core to their company's values. Yeah. They have community teaching people. Every single person who joins Intuit, they learn about you know, how to design, work, okay. what is the design sense of a community, right? Yeah, so companies yeah. can do use communities for everything from driving innovation to building new products to uh, living their values as a company, mission, everything, right? And that is sorely totally missing. And it wouldn't really matter whether people are working remotely or they're in person. I mean, having this kind of community uh, is much more powerful and effective than doing this virtual Happy hours every Friday, which I hate, by the way.
0: (laughs) And um, there's the the last one then in this sense of creating belonging. Did you want to touch on that before we wrap things up?
1: No, I think we did not touch upon the fourth pillar, which is technology. And technology is simply a way to do things at scale. In my last two years when I was working um, remotely with COVID, I think the only tool that people were using was Zoom and there was... Frankly, zero investment in other kind of technology solutions uh, oh, that are available.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. That are
1: available, right? So I yeah. mentioned, uh, I give a lot of examples of tools that are super useful to people to work like way more effectively in the in remote yeah. setting, right? Mm-hmm. But, anyways, right? So now the concept of belonging. Uh, at, at a very high level, belonging is finding your place in a group, right? Yeah. Feeling valued, having some kind of meaning in what work you do being valued, being seen, heard, right? Mm. And and having good relationship uh, with others, right? Growing with others, teaching someone, learning from someone, uh, just having a good time, fun time with each other, right?
0: That, yeah.
1: That is simple, right? That That is that is the root of belonging. You shouldn't feel out of place, in other words, yeah. right? You go yeah, yeah. You join a company and no one cares who you are, what you do. Yeah. And you have no idea and you just, you know, people say, uh, you're... Uh, Vesting in peace, you know, it's a term yeah. where <laughs> your stock options are vesting for two years and they're just coasting along, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that is completely opposite of belonging, right? So you should find your place, right? And to create this belonging, it's there's no button or click that you can click or you turn on a button and, and the belonging is created. It just, belonging is created when you organize the company, the values and the behaviors, which are uh, inherently aligned and attuned to the human needs of digital that I mentioned, right? Um, and the way to create the belonging is to enable fostering these communities. Uh, imagine a lot of communities are forming and dying. When the community's purpose is fulfilled, they, they can just die. It, no, 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 uh, no point in like holding on to community just for the sake of it, right? Yeah.
0: Absolutely. So
1: if you create conditions where these communities can form organically, Mm. Uh, and people are empowered to form these communities. people are empowered to do their best work through these communities. They are like in with, with autonomy and with full transparency of what everyone else is doing. That's when you will start to see the sense of belonging people, right you, you otherwise you cannot you cannot mandate the sense of belonging with people as a senior leader. You have to create these conditions. and for yeah. that you have to structure different things differently. When you exercise this sense of control, over things that cannot be inherently controlled, mm. then you will erode this uh, sense of belonging in people. That's what we have been doing for uh, yeah. very long.
0: Yeah, yeah, that we're trying, we're trying to control the uncontrollable, essentially. Now, yeah. um, I'm re- I realize that we're kind of coming up towards the end of the podcast, and this is maybe a philosophical question and may open a can of worms that warrants an entire new podcast episode. Um, but I am curious about this the what you're calling about feeling like you uh, when you don't belong somewhere versus when you do belong somewhere, because I've experienced both. And for me, if I feel if I get a sense that I don't belong, whether that's on a personal level with a group of people or with an individual, um I tend to just walk away rather than kind of trying harder, if you like. So, you know, if, I suppose it's 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 about finding, you know, and and I'm kind of thinking to what, um, to what Brene Brown talks about and and vulnerability and all of these kind of things, I think there are some places that you belong, but there's some places that you don't because those people are not your people. They're not your tribe. They don't have similar values to you and they don't behave in the way that that you're used to behaving or that you would expect people to behave. Any thoughts on that, that sense of belonging and not really fitting in and what what sort of drives that and and you know, is it okay to to walk away?
1: Um, yeah, I did walk away myself. Yeah, I think it's it's all right to walk away um, because the cost of not doing so is immense. And mm. you know, for example, if you go hit someone, you punch someone, you can see the blood pouring out of the nose, right? So physical <laughs> physical uh, physical injuries are easy to see, but mental scars are invisible, right? And and it is, I would say, it's uh, probably not even known uh, the extent of the mental or psychological damage, um, feeling a sense of unbelonging can do to, 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 uh, to, to people, right? And I think it's absolutely okay to, to walk away. And you cannot, again, cannot really control the behavior of other people, right? You can only control your own behavior, your own values, right? And I think, I'm a firm believer that a toxic behavior spreads like a virus, yeah. so does good behavior,
0: Yes. Right? Yeah, so, yeah.
1: so you are while you are at, at a place where you don't feel you belong, you can still choose to to behave in the most like best possible manner, right? And yeah. then it's it's easy easy to walk away, right? And I think um, like in my own way, like I I no longer care about my own individual success because I've realized that the only way that I grow uh and feel satisfaction is if I grow with other people and it's super important for me to be to be part of a group that cares about each other's growth rather than their own individual success
0: yes yeah 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 that's a really good point actually um now the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast is what does happier at work mean to you
1: that's a uh, that's a great question. That's how we start. I started writing this book, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah but, but so so I, uh, it's it's really contained in the entire episode is is uh, what it means to you.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I think I now have a slightly better understanding of what I would like to see in work. What would make it me uh, happy? Mm. Um, first of all, what I don't want is pressure on me to have promotions. I don't want any promotions. I don't mm. care. Mm. I want to grow. Uh, as a human, uh, I want to gra- gain skills, but I also want to do impactful work. Yeah. And I, I, I realized that I can do great work on my own, but uh, my effectiveness and even the quality of my work grows tenfold if I am working with other people.
0: Like yeah.
1: this has been a pattern, right? I was a mediocre student uh, way back, like when I was like 10 year old turned into a very exceptional student just because I was hanging out with other friends who were exceptional students themselves. Okay, right? yeah. It's who right. you surround
0: yourself with and all that.
1: Exactly. So yeah, I yeah. know the power of this growth fostering relationship where yeah. people learn from each other and it has got nothing to do with what, what IQ have, right? You put mm-hmm. me in isolation, I would be like an entirely stupid person, but I, I thrive when I'm in a group with of smart folks who are much smarter than myself, right? Yeah. I think a lot of people talk about this, but I really, what makes me happy at work is if I'm in growth-fostering relationship uh, with amazing set of uh, folks who deeply care about the work that they're doing, uh, creating impact together, growing together, finding meaning together. Mm. I do not want to be working alone. As long as I'm in good relationship with other people and growing, I'll be super happy at work.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. love that. And if people want to reach out, if they want to find out more about the book, if they want to connect with you, what's the best way that they can do that? I am super
1: active on LinkedIn. So you can uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn at Yogesh Kesoni. You can also reach out to me at my website, YogeshKesoni.com. You can also email me, YKesoni at YogeshKesoni.com. I think those are the three uh, ways to reach me. i Normally respond to my emails pretty quickly. I have this habit of you know clearing my inbox, which oh, is yeah. not super habit, <laughs> yeah, inbox zero. I'm getting over it, but I, I'm pretty quick to respond. To
0: yeah, inbox, yeah, so. great, brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today. It was absolute pleasure, and I'm so glad we're able to finally uh, to record this podcast episode. <laughs> so I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you.
1: Thank you, for having me on this show. I would love to come back on your show. Um, love to collaborate on other uh, stuff as well, because I think we are very closely aligned in our personal Definitely. mission. You want, you want to see happy people. You are uh, like, it's. I'm happy just to be on your show, right? I, Thank you, you have this big smile, <laughs> and it's so heartwarming to to be on your show.
0: That was Yogesh Sony talking about his new book, Digital Belonging, and talking around some of the key concepts in relation to belonging at work. Really hope you enjoyed that conversation. Do get involved in, in the conversation to further it along, to share your own ideas, your own perspectives on what we talked about today. And the best places to do that are Instagram happieratwork.ie or contact me directly through the website, which is also happieratwork.ie or connect with me on LinkedIn and get involved. I always post every week. I also go live with my guests on LinkedIn as well to discuss the key points from that week's episode. Uh, So do feel free to connect and join in the conversation in either of those platforms. Now, Back to summarizing some of the, the key points that we talked about today and, and some of, pre- picking out some of the nuggets and I suppose challenging you to think, you know, what might you do differently as a result of listening to today's podcast episode? What is one action that you might take as a result of listening? A couple of the interesting stats that... Uh, Yogesh shared in relation to loneliness at work, 61% of people felt lonely at work. And that was even pre-pandemic. And we didn't dive into that in an awful lot of detail, but I'm sure it was one of the precursors for the idea behind his book and how to create this sense of belonging. Because even if we're surrounded by people and we still feel that sense of loneliness or a sense of isolation or not belonging, it can have a huge detrimental impact on our health. He also said that workplace stress was the fifth biggest cause of death and that is is above diabetes and this is in America these are American statistics but um, really really interesting we talked about this concept of tribes then as well and sometimes when that goes wrong it become it can become a little bit clicky a little bit competitive which is something to watch out for and certainly you know when I talk about the research I did and this sense of relatedness being one of our key needs as uh, basic psychological needs as humans is this need for relationships. Relatedness, but you can have too much or too little relatedness, I feel when there's too much, then it can cause this sense of clickiness, especially when it comes to organisations. Um, one interesting point that we didn't dwell on too much, but, but interesting that he stated about this nonetheless, the idea that culture remains after those who started it are gone. So there could be legacy cultures in an organisation you know, the, people don't know why they necessarily do something, but it's just the way it's always been done. We talked about this concept of the bell curve. And if, I'm sure every single person listening today has been at the receiving end of the bell curve, if not in the, the kind of the determining end of it as well, deciding on who gets to be in that the top 20% or the bottom 10% or who's, who's actually in the middle. And making those kinds of decisions is really hard. I have talked about this kind of stuff, the performance appraisal side of things, and are people really good? Is it the environment that people find themselves in? I did have a podcast listener reach out to me to talk about the fact that she's going through this process at the moment in her organization when everyone is a really high performer. Everyone really wants to succeed. They want to get to that next level. They want to have a manager in their title, but not everyone can do that. And so they, you know, they bring in these things, the bell curves, making sure that no matter what level your performance, that it's you need to be able to split that between the top performers and the bottom performers, no matter what. But we did talk about the the shift more towards this team for performance and, and how a better approach would be to use teams. And Yogesh, and I think, deliberately doesn't necessarily use the word team because sometimes that can be misused or misinterpreted. You know, when we're in, when we find ourselves as part of a team, but we're not actually connected at that emotional level or we don't necessarily have shared goals. And I certainly have been in teams where I didn't feel that sense of, you know, team, that sense of connection with those other people who were there. And we talked about this idea of community and building communities rather than teams. I think there's huge, huge scope for this in organizations. As I mentioned, one of my previous podcast guests talked all about this, Ted Rubin, this idea of, you know, creating communities within organizations and organizations being at the center of the community as well. Yogesh shared about the McKinsey report, which I am hoping to source for you and stick into the show notes as well. So you'll find out more about that there. The people leaving because of a lack of belonging at work. And I think this is a huge problem. And and we talked, we kind of went into a little bit of detail about this. Both myself and Yogesh have that experience where we didn't feel like we belonged. so, um, So we left those organizations where we we felt that sense of not really fitting in. and um, We did have a, a post podcast discussion, you know, solving the world's problems essentially. But what is the answer to this? And again, if you would like to further get involved in that discussion, do feel free to reach out to me. He talked about the basic human needs and using the acronym DIGITAL. So it starts with dignity and inclusion and it ends with love. And we talked about, like, how do you create this sense of belonging? And there's so much to talk about there, you know, it. it Took up a good chunk of the podcast, but really, really important points. So, the first, uh, he uses the acronym TACT. So, the first one being transparency. So, it's about uh, creating a culture of trust, not an us and them, and not focus on an individual where, like, you know, people are struggling to understand how they get promoted understanding and sharing information as to how conclusions were reached so if a decision was made being really transparent about how that decision was made. The second one then is autonomy but not just about individual autonomy it's about team autonomy. What are the big stakes that we are betting on as a team and collectively we are responsible for that whether it is a huge success or I don't Really like to use the term failure because I find we can always learn. But if it didn't go according to plan, or you know, you might use the term failure, that we're all in it together. But also, this sense of autonomy being that we're customer centric, you know, we're putting the customer at the center of everything that we are delivering as a team. And um, this idea then at C, the C intact is community, and that's about having this shared purpose or goal and understanding what that positive impact is that you want to make and being a community, it's understanding also the economic impact. So it's not just about the impact that you have on the people that you work with or the customers that you're serving, whether they are internal or external customers. And um, Really, really interesting to think about it like this is, you know, what is the economic impact that you're going to have as well? He touched on this idea of having a shared goal not being enough because everyone needs to be able to do their job well, you know, in order for that to succeed. So being able to to source you know he used the example of the company Hire where they were able to build micro communities and outsource from other companies if they weren't getting the level of service that was required from the internal micro communities that existed there as well this idea of being handed down a task and I think we, we talked we touched on this a little bit in the, the main conversation in the podcast. But, you know, when things come from the top and it's just handed down to you and you have no sense of control as to what it is that you're doing or how it is that you're doing it and uh, when you're handed down tasks and objectives, I think that's that can be quite demotivating. So that's not what it's about. It's not about being told. It's creating those environments where people can create a community where they can come together for a shared purpose and when they get to make the decisions about how things get done as well. I liked this idea as well, moving beyond your traditional EORGs to something that brings people together based on potentially the skills that they have. So some of the examples he used were, were creating communities to drive this sense of belonging at work. So the examples he had were one for statistics, for example, in one organization, and then another one was about design and putting design at the heart of everything that you do. So it's bringing people together for, for this common purpose, essentially. That's it for this week's episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to get involved in the conversation. I'd really love to hear from you. And thanks for tuning in. That was another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I am so glad you tuned in today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I would love to get your thoughts. Head on over to social media to get involved in the conversation. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love if you could rate, review it or share it with a friend. If you want to know more about what I do or how I could help your business, head on over to happieratwork.ie.